0: voices. Bless the Lord. Bless the desire of our hearts this morning, Lord, that we would just bless your heart, Lord, that the name of Jesus would be lifted in this place. Lord, we ask that once again you would, you would just speak to our hearts, pierce deep into our hearts with your word this morning, Lord, that our hearts, the soil of our hearts, Lord, would be soft and re- ready to receive the seed of your word. Lord, that it would bring forth fruit in its season, Lord. We ask that you'd have your way in our hearts this morning. We thank you for your presence this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and take your seats. We've learned Ephesians chapter 2. And as you've heard, we're working through this series in Ephesians. And we're at the part where we talk a lot about family. We talk about husbands, wives, marriage, as well as parenting is going to be coming up. What it means as parents as well as children. But this morning, my goal is to show us what this thing called the gospel and our marriage, how they actually marry together. Because the book of Ephesians actually talks hand in hand with gospel marriage, gospel marriage continuously. So we're going to look at that in Ephesians chapter 2. So we're going to work through a timeline. So for those of you taking notes, you're going to have a timeline, kind of a mathematical equation that we're going to work through This morning, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says this, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we, church, all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So what we've seen from this passage is beginning all the way back, how we were before Christ is we were dead. Scripture says we were dead in our trespasses. So that's going to be the first point this morning is just dead. We were lost, we were dead, we were broken. That's what Scripture defined us as before we came to Christ. And then beginning in verse 4 if you're following along beginning in verse 4 it says this but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. So what it looks like is you were dead in Christ and then you became a Christian so we're going to just put a little arrow here for our next point dead in Christ became a Christian That's one slide too far, but it's gonna be dead in Christ, arrow, Christian. That's what it's supposed to be. And then the Bible actually talks about when you become a Christian, there's a couple of things that automatically Christians do. For example, Christians in the Bible are automatically associated with a local church body. There's no such thing in the Bible as Christians in the New Testament that aren't involved in a local body, there's not rogue Christians. It says Christians and they were meeting together. They were fellowshipping with one another. They were in the body. So we have dead in Christ or dead in our sins. Then we became a Christian and Christian equals church body member. That's the next point. To be a Christian means you're involved in a church. It can't be unassociated. For example, to be a millionaire means you have at least what? What? a million dollars. Well, the same should be so closely associated. To be a Christian means you are in a church. That's the way the Bible always looks at this. So, we have dead in in our sins, then we were brought alive in Christ, and with that means we are a church body member. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to be looking at two verses there, beginning in verse 12. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. And this verse says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Skip a little bit down to verse 27 there. It says, Now you church member. You are the body of Christ, and individually, you are a member of it. So, Scripture has given us, we were dead in our sins, we came to Christ, we believe the gospel. As a Christian, we're involved in a church, equals, that's what a Christian does, as well as, as we're involved in a church, we are part of the bride of Jesus Christ. As part of the church, us sitting here this morning, if we are in Christ, we are Christians, God looks at the church. He's looking at us as the bride of Christ. That's what it means that we are. Turn back to Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to give an overview of beginning in verse 24 that we'll read through. Listen to what it says this parallel between marriage and the gospel, always marriage, gospel, marriage, gospel, beginning in verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Do you see that concept of there's a marriage there? Marriage, gospel, marriage, the church. Husbands, love your wives how? As Christ loved the church. Marriage, church, marriage, church. That he might sanctify her. Is he talking about marriage or the church? Well, they're so closely linked together, he's talking about both having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So we have that you were dead in your sins. You became a Christian. That's an arrow. You are now a church body member. As a member of a church, you are part of the bride of Jesus Christ. He's the groom. We are the bride. And God gave us this picture in the Old Testament, thousands of years ago. And that's where we're going to be spending the majority of our time this morning, is in Hosea chapter 1. Hosea chapter 1. So turn with me to Hosea chapter 1. And while you're turning there, a small disclaimer for the vocabulary that we'll be using. There will be some words that you may have to explain. If you have small children, they may be wondering what some of those things are. Um, So as parents, I give you a little bit of heads up on some things we will be discussing in Hosea. That's the disclaimer. So beginning in Hosea chapter 1, we're going to be in verse 1. It won't be too extreme, so don't don't be too freaked out. Verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Berai, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Setting the stage here. Verse 2. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, this is the first thing the Lord told Hosea. The Lord said to Hosea this, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom. And have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he took Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Can you imagine Hosea? When people looked at Old Testament prophets, they were looking at what they considered the image of God on earth. This was the spokesperson of God. What God was going to say to the people, he spoke through a prophet. So Hosea is told by God to go marry Gomer, a prostitute. Now, do you think that that was Hosea, what he was expecting he was going to do to serve God? That was his first assignment, his first mission. I'm sure that that wasn't his hopes for marriage, right? But this is what he was told to do. His marching orders are in verse 2. Marry an adulterous woman, have children with her. And later we read in Hosea, He was commanded to love her, cherish her, honor her, and be faithful to her even when she was unfaithful, even when she didn't honor Him. And the question we need to ask is, why would God do such a thing? I mean, why would anyone want to be married to a spouse that they knew was unfaithful? I mean, it's one thing to enter into a relationship and have no idea exactly who the person you're marrying is, which we don't always know exactly who we marry until later, right? Right, church? We don't know everything about our spouse until later. Well, this is in advance. He says, you will go marry somebody who you know is living this way. So why would anyone want to do that? Why would someone want to marry and spend the rest of their life with somebody who was running away from them, who would pursue their own selfish desires rather than pursuing with you? Well, the surprising answer to that question is God would. God would enter into that relationship. And he tells Hosea why he's supposed to get into this marriage in verse 2. He says, Because the land commits great whoredom by forsaking me, the Lord. And it's almost as if God is saying, Because Israel is my bride, my spouse, and she is continually committing adultery on you. Hosea, your marriage to this unfaithful person is going to show those living around you that they continually are unfaithful to me. Your marriage is going to show that. This marriage will be for my purpose. Israel, or God is pursuing Israel as Israel is pursuing others. Just like Hosea, if you've read the story, is pursuing Gomer. And Gomer always pursuing another man. Continuously. To where she goes and gets herself in trouble and he buys her back. Continuously. Always pursuing her. God commanded Hosea to be faithful to Gomer when Ho- Gomer didn't deserve it. Hosea's marriage He was not just going to be a prophet in what he preached. He was going to be a prophet in the way he lived, in his marriage. Can you imagine every day having to deal with that? This isn't just a story make-believe. He actually went and and married this woman being faithful to God and had to deal with the day-to-day situations that this brought up. And this marriage to this prostitute was a small glimpse of a faithful God marrying an unfaithful people. And thousands of years ago, they saw this glimpse of a faithful God marrying an unfaithful people, and they wondered what it meant. And for thousands of years, they've seen this. And at the time, they didn't know exactly what that would be fulfilled in. But we in the church are fulfillment of that. Now, we are not Old Testament Israel. But later in the New Testament, we see how the church... Jew or Gentile, Greek or Hebrew, if you've been in Christ, you are part of the church, part of this thing called the bride you've been grafted in. So this glimpse between Hosea and Gomer's marriage was a small glimpse of what Jesus Christ was going to be married to us, the church. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means in the in the illustration that he gave us of Hosea and Gomer, we are who? Church. We're Gomer. That's who we are. We are the unfaithful spouse. Jesus, who owned everything, would give to us who deserved less than nothing and pursued us to be this type of spouse. Specifically, if you're a Christian this morning and you're in a church body, you are the bride of Christ, and this is what it's like for God to be in a relationship with you. Now, maybe you didn't come to, sm- come to church this morning thinking in the mindset of, I'm the unfaithful, adulterous spouse. I mean, I'm getting up and going to church. I just gave. I just sang worship songs. Listen, this is the glimpse that God has given us back in the Old Testament of who we are now. I mean, and it was a small, small glimpse. But this is what, this is what it's like for God to be in a marriage relationship with us. And we're going to unpack this a little bit. He is the perfect spouse, and we are the ones who who is promiscuous. He's the pure one, and we're the impure. He's the faithful one, and we are the unfaithful. I mean, what an accurate picture God has given us of ourselves in this woman called Gomer. Look back in a description here, and it says this about her. She's the daughter of Diblom, a worshiper of Baal, worshipping what she wants to worship. Are we not the same way? Known by everyone, what everyone is looking for in the short term, but what nobody wants in the long term. Broken, discarded, a failure, a wreck, sinful, lost, a lost cause, a disappointment, a lover of herself. Just like us. Lover of ourselves. Lovers of the things we want to do, the things we want to say, the actions we want to pursue. This is what it means to be in a relationship with God, to be in a marriage with him. Listen to what it says in Hosea chapter 3. The Lord said to me again, as in to Hosea, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods. So he's saying again to Hosea, listen, you're not going because she's faithful. You're going because I'm faithful and you are representing me, and I'm faithful, God, so you will be faithful to her regardless if she is unfaithful to you. This is the gospel and marriage in the church, and it's going to affect everything that we have seen. It's the same for all of us. So Christian brothers and sisters, do we understand when we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ— It's not just saying, I'm going to add a little bit of God into my life. It's really saying, he is my Lord, he is my Savior, he is my King, he's going to be head of my household, he's going to be the leader of everything I am, and I'm going to submit to him in all ways, marriage and the gospel, just as we read in Ephesians, husbands, Loving your wife, wife, we are the wife, submitting to the husband. So we submit to God because he is the authority. That's what it means when we give ourselves over to that. Our eyes are the ones that continue to wander. Our hearts are the ones that run away from God. I mean, do you see yourself in the picture that you are Gomer in your relationship with Christ this morning? Or is it somebody sitting beside you? Or is it somebody else in the church or somebody that you work with? Because if you don't see yourself in this picture of Gomer, I would say you're probably not a Christian. Because that's what it means is I understand how broken I am compared to a faithful God. That's how much he loves us. Listen to these two verses. Colossians 121. And you who once were alienated and hostile in your mind doing evil deeds towards God. Romans 5, 6, you see at just the right time when we were powerless, Christ died for us, the ungodly. It was always based on his faithfulness. We are the last pick. We're the undeserving. We're the ones that were rejected, infected, sinning. But God pursued us. It's the picture of the gospel and our marriage. And maybe this morning you're thinking, wait a second. I'm not, I'm not outliving how Gomer lived I'm faithful to my spouse. I give. I come to church. I try to do what's right. I volunteer. I'm not living the type of lifestyle that Gomer lived. I'm not that type of spouse. Listen, you're also not married to Hosea. Okay? You're married to Jesus Christ. So in comparison of Hosea married to Gomer, we're married to Christ. And that comparison is far worse than Gomer ever was. Are you following me? That's, that's this comparison. It, it was so much on a small scale. It's almost incomparable to our relationship with God that we are that spouse continually running away. We are far worse than Gomer ever was because we have a far greater faithful loving spouse that's pure and holy every time. Every time. And I don't tell us these things this morning to tear us down i don't tell us these things to destroy us what needs to be destroyed is the image we have of ourselves that's good that needs to be destroyed because it is true we are the unfaithful spouse we are the broken individual but that's only a small beginning part of the gospel the rest of the gospel is yes you are the unfaithful spouse but god is the faithful spouse And he pursued you when you were not worth pursuing. I mean, he shouldn't have even started on the process of pursuing you, the process of loving you, the process of being faithful to you because, you know what? He knew what you were beforehand. It wasn't like he entered into a relationship and figured out, oh, man, this person's really messed up. No, he knows all things. He knew what you would do, who you are now, and what you're going to do tomorrow. And he still chose to be a faithful spouse and to come after you. So when we see this picture between the marriage and gospel, it should change a lot of things in our life. A lot of things. So we're going to work through some of those things. One thing that it should change is this. If we are the bride of Christ... Listen, Christ died for who? Be careful how you answer this. Christ died for the church. We are part of the church. So, he didn't die just for you. He died for you to be part of the church. That's what we've taught through in Ephesians. We're part of that. That's why we're so, should be so connected in a church that we're part of the bride of Christ. He died for the church. He gave himself for her, Scripture tells us. So, We should not be so flippantly committed and uncommitted to a church. To be a Christian, you should not just jump into a church and then jump out of a church. Because this is the bride of Christ. You don't jump in relationships and out of relationships in marriage. You shouldn't. I mean, this is what God is teaching us. So this view of marriage and the church and the gospel should change how Christians React to church, jumping in and jumping out over little reasons. There should be a good reason if you ever leave a church, a biblical reason. And a biblical reason would be this. Maybe they're teaching false teaching. They're not teaching the gospel. Well, that's a biblical reason you can separate yourself. Because I would say that's not even a church to begin with, right? A church is one that faithfully preaches the gospel. First Corinthians chapter 1. I want to read this. There's, um, you don't need to turn there. Says this, I appeal to you, brothers. It's just talking about unity in the church. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be knighted in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling in the church. What I mean is this each one of you says this I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. And he asks this, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? What it means, since we're the bride of Christ, we should have unity in the church. So there should not be divisiveness or disunity in the church over trivial matters. Why? Because God doesn't do that with us when he should. So we represent the bride of Christ, the church that he died for. So there should be unity in the church. Until God allows you to break fellowship with somebody in the church or the church itself. False teaching is a great example of that. Titus 3.10, here's an example of being relieved from that commitment. Here's how you can be relieved. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with that man. That's one way you're in a relationship with somebody, a brother or sister in Christ They're being divisive. The scripture gives you a warrant and a justified biblical reason to follow those steps and then say, I can't have fellowship with you anymore. But that means you can't just break fellowship when somebody doesn't act or do what you want them to do. All of this plays in the gospel and marriage into our relationships. What about our family? How you treat your children? How you treat your husband? How you treat your spouse? This gospel marriage relationship affects those things too. Why? Because God was perfect in Himself and He invited us to become part of His family. He never speaks a harsh word to us. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ, even though there should be. He should condemn us, but yet He has forgiven us for the blood of Christ. When we have received that extension of God's love and grace in our life, it should change how we speak to one another. It should change how we speak to our spouse. It should change how we honor one another. It should change how our children talk to us, talk to each other, and how we talk to our children. So, Christians, what about our marriages this morning? I mean, just think marriage and the gospel and the church. Well, what does that actually mean for our marriage Well, they they go right hand in hand. Pastor John MacArthur says this regarding our marriages. Husbands and wives are not to be quick in divorcing each other because of wrongs their spouse have done. Not even for unfaithfulness. Just as Christ does not separate himself from believers who sin against him. Husbands and wives are not to separate themselves from their partner for sins against them. As Christ is always forgiving of believers, husbands and wives should always be forgiving of each other. So what does this look like when this is played out? Well, when I have somebody who's telling me they're Christian and they're willing to break fellowship with brothers and sisters in the church, they're willing to forsake a commitment in the church, they're willing to break something in the family or a friendship, they're willing to reject their marriage, What they're actually doing is spitting in the face of God for everything he's ever done in their life. They're saying, I reject all of that for me to live out that way, but I'll accept it from you. That's what you're doing whenever we flippantly take those things. We're like, yeah, God, I know you love me unconditionally, but I'm not going to unconditionally love others. Yeah, I know I'm the unfaithful spouse. I'm Gomer in this relationship, but with this relationship... I'm not. In your marriage, I mean, he's the faithful one always, you're the unfaithful one, but yet we so break our marriages over trivial things, and it may seem like a really big thing at the moment, but when you compare it to God never breaking his marriage with you, it is trivial. And this is the gospel in marriage and how this looks in your marriage how this looks in the church, how it looks in your family, in our commitment to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We can't act like this doesn't have an effect on these things. Listen, if, if this marriage relationship between you and God in the church doesn't affect these things in your life and how you speak to one another in your marriage, I would say you don't understand what you have and you probably don't have it. And that's the truth of evaluating yourself when we understand what God has done for us. So I want to ask you, Christian, how is your marriage to Jesus Christ this morning? How is your marriage to him? How's your faithfulness to God this morning? Are you faithful? A follow-up question to that is how is his faithfulness to you? this morning. How is his faithfulness to you? Praise God that it doesn't depend on us because we're unfaithful. We're the one that wanders. We're the one that continues to go astray. This should cause us to be overflowing with love and adoration and praise and humility And brokenness over sin and willing to be submissive to my spouse and to apologize when we speak wrongly to our kids. To commit to a church, not because it's perfect, but because I'm not perfect and God has decided to pursue and love me anyways. There's no perfect church and you're not a perfect spouse. But God is the perfect spouse and the faithful spouse. Listen, you may be the one sometimes who's running after your spouse because they're having a bad day or they're broken in their relationship with God and you're pursuing them to uplift them, encourage them. Sometimes it's the other way around and the spouse is the one pursuing you because you're not on a good track. But Christian, understand, God is always the one who is the one pursuing us and it has been from the beginning because we didn't desire him to begin with. We were dead. And he pursued us, knowing who we were, knowing what we would do, and how we would continuously run away from him. But there's joy in that because that allows us to praise God and to praise him and give him adoration because I am so undeserving, but I have received so much. That's the life of a Christian. And that is the marriage between the gospel and the marriage, the bride what we are called to be in the church. Would you stand with me as we pray and dismiss this morning? Let's pray. God, we thank you for what an accurate picture you have given us. In the book of Hosea, God, we are that broken spouse who is unfaithful, continuously running away from you. We have our own desires. We say what we want to say. We do what we want to say sometimes. But God, we thank you that you don't do that to us. God, we thank you you don't give us what we deserve. Because it's not just that we deserve divorce. We never even deserve to know you at all. God, that is this thing called the gospel and marriage and how they go hand in hand God, we thank you that we are the bride of Christ. God, help us in our commitment to one another. Not because they deserve it, but because you've called us to do it and we don't deserve to be committed or in a relationship with you. God, help us to be committed to a church body as Christians. That you would even call us your bride. What a miracle and blessing that is. God, may this message so... Soak into our hearts where we understand our brokenness, how much we need you. God, we thank you that all the things you've done. I I pray that this message of the gospel and marriage may soak into every area of our life because it affects everything. It should affect everything. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for loving us, pursuing us, dying for us, and offering us salvation. God, we thank you in Ephesians 5 that you say that you come and you've washed the church, us, with your blood to where we, when you look at us, you see us as clean, spotless, without a blemish, even though that is everything but who we were. God, what a joy and privilege it is to be able to call you Father and that you are our Husband. God, we thank you for your faithfulness and give you praise for who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.